Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. So after interviewing with a couple of CPA firms, I had actually interviewed them about what a day in the life was like, and accounting certainly seemed to be the place that I thought I wanted to be. Hello everyone, I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Josh LeBlanc, partner with Edgar Kiker and Cross in the Beaumont, Texas area. It's been a while since we featured someone that started as an entry-level accountant and eventually became a partner at the very same firm they started at. And Josh did exactly that. Due to his personal situation, he hadn't been available for internships during college, and consequently he found himself graduating and needing to find his first professional accounting role. However, he was very logical and very methodical about how he approached finding the right position and ended up starting at the firm where he became partner not many years later. Plus, Josh lives in the area that was dramatically affected by Hurricane Harvey last year, so we get into a discussion of that devastation as well. He talks about how the community really came together through that experience and how it definitely continues to have an impact on daily life. If you find this episode has been valuable to you, please visit us at whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast, or you can do so on your favorite podcast app as well, of course. Also, we have links to all the prevalent certifications in the accounting world there as well. Once again, that site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Josh LeBlanc in the Beaumont, Texas area. Well, hello, Josh. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. No problem. Well, for the audience, we have Josh LeBlanc on the phone with us today. And I asked Josh to come on the program because it's been a little while since we had a good old-fashioned work-your-way-to-the-top episode. And at the same time, I've become aware of Josh through all his volunteer efforts, actually, recently. In addition to being active in the State CPA Society, Josh has helped out a lot in volunteer relief efforts in the Gulf area in Texas that was just so devastated by Hurricane Harvey late last year. And although some great improvements have been made, many areas are really still feeling the effects of that devastation. So I want to go ahead and invite Josh on the program to get a little bit more of a personal perspective because he happens to live in that rather large geographical area that was affected so heavily by Hurricane Harvey last year. Josh, before we get into all the current events, so to speak, this is a career-related podcast, so I want to start out covering that part of your background. What initially led you to consider accounting as a possible career in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. I will say that through grade school, math was always a popular subject for me. Numbers really came second nature. Through time, evaluating what career options there were out there, I had actually taken the ASVAB and applied to the military, and the Navy contacted me and wanted me to be a nuclear engineer on a submarine. 
And something about being underwater with a nuclear reactor didn't really attract me. <laughs> so considering they were considering me for an engineering-type position, I always knew I wanted to be in business, and I started looking around. I'd been involved in business with family members for a long time, going in and out of businesses as a young child with uncles and my father. Along the lines, accounting came up as an option. I believe my uncle's father-in-law actually owned his own CPA firm in Florida, in Sarasota, Florida. And I had an opportunity to visit with him a little bit, and it certainly seemed like accounting had a breadth of business exposure that you would kind of get to touch in different areas of business and not just going into management and being focused just on seeing one thing, micromanaging a company. And that was something I never really wanted to do. So after interviewing with a couple of CPA firms, I'd actually interviewed them about what a day in the life was like, and accounting certainly seemed to be the place that I thought I wanted to be. Now, of course, you never really know what you're going to do until you get out in the real world. I'm happy to say that, that I made the right choice, that working in public accounting and serving clients in the anywhere from $40,000 in revenue to $50, $60 million in revenue, that small to regional size business, I really get to consult and help mostly family-owned businesses, and it's in a broad spectrum of not just doing tax returns, but the sky's the limit, and I'm very happy where I've landed in accounting. Wow. You know, I have to say, you took a very logical, planned out approach to figure this out. A lot of guests say, you know, I knew I could get a job, so I chose accounting. But you went out and interviewed people, and you're very methodical, very, very much. Very much so. I try to get things right the first time. That would probably be the one thing I'm OCD about. Um, <laughs> but sometimes you have to rely on a little bit of luck, and some things have paid off. So. Okay. So how did you get your first professional position? Did you do some internships in college or how did that work out? How did you get your start? I actually didn't have any internships. Edgar Cochran Cross is the firm I'm with now and I am, I'm a shareholder at the firm. I've been with the firm for about 10 years now. I actually, due to income limitations, my family didn't have much money growing up, so I worked full-time going through college. I actually ran a restaurant. I had to work a minimum of 55 hours a week to fulfill my salary requirements. I just had no flexibility being able to go out and take an internship-type position, and it left me feeling somewhat disadvantaged compared to some of my other college classmates, not really knowing what the future would hold. When I completed my bachelor's degree, I was on a five-year program. I went on a four-year program. I didn't go out and immediately apply for a job at that time. It was probably three months. I graduated in May of 2008. It was probably three months after I graduated. I was starting to really struggle with, was I going to be in a restaurant for the rest of my life or was I going to be able to do anything with my degree? And I had started to check around and there were two notable firms at the time in Beaumont that I was familiar with just from networking at the university. And that was Edgar Kiker and Cross. The other firm I was familiar with through a family member was Cavett Turner and Weibel. And I interviewed, I sent resumes in, I immediately got phone calls for interviews, and this is in around the August-September time period, so we're not dealing with tax season part of the year. Edgar Cochran Cross and Cap Turner Weibel sat me down on the spot when I went by for interviews, and I had a brief interview, but I will say that when I interviewed with Edgar Cochran Cross, it had a very homey feel, a very down-to-earth feel, and when I left, I was hoping to just get a call. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking the one that I really hope call, if I got a call from each of them, would be Edgar Kiker Cross. That was the one that just had a more personal atmosphere 
that seemed to just generate a comfortable atmosphere. And fortunately, two or three days later, I did get the phone call. Uh, from Edgar Cocker and Cross, and they made me an offer, and even then I needed a few days to think about it. I was scared to death of <laughs> leaving something that I knew very well and had been very successful in and doing a complete 180 and starting over. So it was with hesitation, and I was able to sit down with the owner of the restaurant that I was managing, and it was kind of a tearjerker conversation, but he looked at me and he said, you have to go. He said, you have to give it six months. Don't call me next week wanting to come back. Go and give it six months. I know it's a completely new arena for you. And I never called him back. To be perfectly honest, he actually just recently became a client of the firm. So I still have a good relationship (laughs) with that family. Wow. You know, there's a lot to be said for just being open and direct, transparent, you know, with your employer. That sounds like you had a great relationship. Obviously, you do if he just became a client. Wow. You know, Something you mentioned, because this is about 10 years ago, so the economy wasn't in the best shape back then, and you had to go out and you know seek out these positions. Are you in the Beaumont area? or I am. The Beaumont area, which is really comprised of probably about three primary counties, and that would be Orange, Jefferson, and Hardin County. There's some outlier counties also, but the population of the area, if you look at the three county areas, probably about 500,000. Okay. Yeah, that that was a downtime in the economy overall or around that time. Do you think that just in your area, maybe that the economy wasn't as bad and that, that sort of you were fortunate in that respect to be able to get both interviews? Or is there something you can point to that you did that helped you get your foot in the door? Because when you're right, you were sort of at a disadvantage and you overcame it. So I'm curious. You know, that's a good question. I would say that this area is consistently stable economically. Okay. We have a lot of industrial refineries, the Motivas, the Exxon Mobiles. I think three of the 10 largest refineries in the country are located here in Beaumont, Port Arthur. So the economy itself here never gets in dire straits. We don't really fall into depressions here. However, at the time, you had the mortgage crisis. You had the financial crisis. There are a lot of local businesses with no new construction. The sales tax revenue at the cities had declined, so most of our contractors, manufacturers, you know, people weren't running out to spend any money and invest. Probably, I would say 10 years ago, I think the accounting profession every five to 10 years goes through some swings with some turnover. The accounting profession, in my experience so far in my short career, has been incredibly high demand for talent. I don't see that being a shortcoming anytime in the future. I do believe a position had just opened up at the firm when I went by, so timing could have been everything. Do I think the economy was a contributing factor here? No, not necessarily. I think we just had an average economy, nothing exciting happening at the time. And just due to high demand, over the last 10 years, you've had a huge retirement boom in the CPA profession. The founders of the state society, the founders of the CPA profession in the country are baby boomers who are retiring and some even passing away. So it's a unique It was a unique time 10 years ago, and I think the accounting profession has already adapted very well to some knee-jerk changes that have happened in it, but I I think that I don't think that's something that's going to be few and far between. I think the accounting profession will continue to adapt as it goes along. Okay. I have to tell you, I just, I really commend you for taking your fate into your own hands a little bit and getting out of your comfort zone, you know, because you're right, you had this booming career, really, in another industry, but you had the opportunity for something better. And yeah, you stepped out. That's wonderful. 
walk us through your career there at Edgar Kiker and Cross. You know, what did you start out doing, and what have been some of the major milestones? Because 10 years is a long time, and obviously sure. you didn't start as a shareholder, you know? So <laughs> Sure, sure. No, I certainly didn't start as a shareholder. The way our firm is structured, and I think a lot of the smaller regional firms are kind of structured this way, is I did not really work on the audit side and do any test work. I came in wanting to work on the tax side. There's a common misconception that on the tax side, you're just going to be stuck in an office looking at a computer screen all day and just doing repetitive keystrokes in the computer. And I will say that's not ever what my perception of the tax side of the business would be. And I don't think at all that that's what it is today. Part of my knowledge beforehand comes from, you know, interviewing family members and whatnot who had already had successful careers in public accounting. But, you know, typical day in the life, I'll say that when I first started out, I didn't even know if I had my debits and credits correct. Looking at general ledgers for the first time, you know, general ledger exposure is not really something that you get in college. You're kind of baptism by fire when you start your career, but New staff will get an opportunity to come in and record checks and deposits and go ahead and reconcile bank accounts for some of your smaller clients who do not have uh, accounting departments and accounting staff. I would say it probably took about a year for the light bulb to come on and me to really all of a sudden realize, oh, everything's fallen into place. It all makes sense now. And, And all of a sudden, intermediate accounting from college started to make sense. And probably about, I had been at the firm for about two years And because I interviewed after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I did not have enough credit hours to sit for the CPA exam. So I continued to work full-time for the firm and went back to school to get my 150 hours. I do not have a master's degree. I actually took the shortest path I could to just meet the 150 hours. So I took a bunch of PE credits in that time period to fill the (laughs) gap that I needed. I also took an art appreciation class, which was probably the most challenging thing I've ever done. It wasn't a wise decision on my part. I thought that would be a blow-off class. And it was probably one of the more difficult classes I've taken. But it took me about 18 months going back to school to get my 150 hours to qualify to sit for the exam. And and by that point, I had about four years of experience. I was managing some client relationships solo. I wasn't really a senior accountant at that time. I wasn't supervising any other staff. But probably immediately upon graduating, I was named senior at the firm and began sitting for the CPA exam. It took me about nine months to pass the exam. And I would encourage anybody out there, as soon as you get the opportunity to jump on the exam, take it. Because the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. The exam's going to go through changes. Qualifications are going to change. And quite frankly, you just get out of study mode. You just get out of test-taking mode. And it's very difficult to get back into it. It was very difficult for me. At the time, I wasn't in a relationship. I was a single guy living on my own. All I had was work in the CPA exam, so I had a little bit more flexibility in my schedule. I have some family members here at the firm now who are struggling, trying to find time to sit for the exam and managing the work-life balance. So, you know, to any listeners out there, I would encourage the earliest you can to sit for the CPA exam. You never know what life's going to throw at you and, and the complications and the challenges and the rewards that come along the way. I was licensed in 2012. At the end of 2012, I had about four to five years of experience at that time. I was about a year later, I was promoted to manager at the firm and I was asked to help revise some supervisory positions in the firm and and help kind of develop what a manager position should look like. So it was kind of a learning experience for both me and the firm as we were staging to get ready to grow a little bit as we were going through a transition phase here at our firm. And you get to a point, I will say, You know, speaking frankly, where you find frustrations, you get enough experience and you put in the hours, you wonder if you're being appreciated or being valued. 
you work with people long enough, it's very easy to bump heads and crossways. And, and I was going through a stressful time in my career, probably around year six, year seven, when I was having to put in a lot of extra time due to some organizational changes at the firm and not real sure. There wasn't a whole lot of communication top down at that point about where I stood, what my career was, what the future path was. And then the next thing I know, I got invited to lunch with the other shareholders and they had asked me to become a shareholder with the firm. And I was completely shocked at the time. I probably thought that that might have been another year away before maybe I got that invite. It was a very humbling experience. I had to go home and think about it. My now wife, I had been with for about a year at the time. And we had a very hard-to-hard talk about what that looked like. We actually had somewhat of a distance relationship. My wife actually is a commercial operations manager for GE Oil & Gas for North America. And she is based out of Houston. At the time, we were traveling every weekend, and I didn't really know what was going to happen when I got invited to be a shareholder. Here I was involved in a serious relationship with somebody who lived, you know, 100 miles down the road, and how is this going to work? Kind of stressful, and before I knew it, we sat down and talked about it. She put in an application to work remotely, and she got approved, and it just seemed like everything continued to fall in place at that point, and she wanted to come here and support my career. Probably one of the most marquee statements she made, and I'll never forget this. She looked at me, and when I learned that she was going to move to Belmont from Houston, I asked her, are you sure? You know, this needs to be a lengthy conversation. Let's talk about this. And she stopped me, and she said, stop. She said, let's talk about this. And she gave me her take on it, and she said, I have a job. She said, I have a great job. But she said, I have a job. And she said, but I look at you, you get up every morning with a smile on your face and you're happy to go to work. You have a career and you absolutely love what you do. You love the people you work with. You love your clients. And she said, I could never take you away from that. And she said, it's not open for discussion. And she kind of sealed the deal. So since then, I've been a shareholder and I've probably gotten more involved with the TSEPA since. The firm's been very supportive of that. As far as my career at Edgar Kiker and Cross, that's probably the long way of saying that's what the last 10 years look like. Okay. I know you mentioned this a little you know, further back at this point, but I want to circle back to it. As of the time we're recording this, I'm in the middle of recording some segments from newly certified CPAs, just about their process they went through and that kind of thing. And one of the themes that's coming out of that is simply that when you start preparing for the exam, it's going to be difficult and it's going to take some sacrifice. You just have to realize that it's temporary. And you sort of hit on that, that you were at a time in your life when you could afford to do that. And maybe it wasn't you know, quite as painful, but nonetheless, you know, it just takes some time. And so thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Definitely. Sure. You know, I do want to get into some of the, like the current event stuff. But before we do, one more question, because you've been there 10 years. As we talked about, you know, you were proactive about getting that opportunity. And obviously, you've done some things right along the way for them to surprise you a little early with the shareholder invitation. What are some of the critical skills that you feel are important for younger professionals, you know, looking to grow their career to partner someday. You know, if they're just starting out in public accounting and they're thinking, my goal is to be a partner. Maybe it's at the firm they're at or maybe it's at another firm, but they know that that's the type of service they want to provide. What skills do you think they need to develop or acquire along the way? Sure. There's a few that come to mind immediately. Obviously, you're going to have to have a working knowledge of computers, and you're going to have to be comfortable with computers. As technology changes, these machines are going to continue to adapt. 
And you've got to be flexible enough to be able to adapt and change with them. The softwares we use are, are going to continue to mold in, into whatever it is they become. Technology will change the landscape. Do I think a computer programmer is well suited for the profession? Not necessarily. But you will find yourself at times you're really learning how to map software more than you are trying to run numbers on a calculator. I would say as a second critical skill, you need to be very open-minded and flexible. If you come into the profession with preconceived notions of what it is that you're going to do, especially if you don't have any public accounting experience, then you're setting yourself up for failure. You're going to have to be open-minded coming out. The only thing you're going to get in college are fundamentals, fundamental skills. The world of public accounting is drastically different, and the scope of what we get asked to do is growing every day. I've had clients call and ask me to do things. You know, I work on the quotes around this, the tax side, but I've had clients call and tell me, probably one of the craziest phone conversations I had, had a client call and tell me that they needed a break-even analysis on autopsies. And I had to give serious thought about what the question actually posed <laughs> was at the time about were they really asking me to do that? And then I would say, thirdly, you've got to have people skills. In any professional position, especially public accounting, relationships are key. You have to be able to recognize what it is your clients are struggling with or what's on their mind. Be sensitive to needs. You're going to be dealing with families who are dealing with extremely difficult issues, extremely emotional issues. You're going to go through dealing with families that are dealing with a lot of money on occasion. And a lot of times, money and control and family relationships create some very extreme dynamics. I've seen conversations fall apart and brothers and sisters walk out never intending to talk to each other again. You're going to be put in some uncomfortable situations and people skills, I think, are going to be very, very important to anybody coming into the profession. You're almost going to be a moderator for money. You're going to be the instigator of discussions and at the same time, the mediator of discussions. So, and the issues that we talk about are not easy issues to talk about. We are affecting people's lives in the decisions that we have to help people make. So, people skills might be probably the most critical skill I could think of for the profession. When you work with family businesses and particularly, you know, multi-generation, part of the job ends up being some counseling, right? General advice. I've joked sometimes that you wonder why you have to take psychology when you're in college. You know, why is that a required course? That seems like a, like a stupid thing, but you get a little bit into it and you realize that it does come into play at some point. You know, you have to remove yourself from the emotional situation and delicately deal with other people. But yes, counseling and not just about money, but as it comes to wills and how to help manage other people's expectations and manage family expectations. Very much so. I think that's a very fair statement, Mark, that we do fill the role of counselor from time to time. I think we should have to take more psychology, honestly, that, <laughs> that <laughs> at least another three hours. Yes. <laughs> well, tell us more about your firm now. Tell us more about Edgar Kiker and Cross. I guess, you know, what are your specialties as a firm? Where are you guys going? You know, what's the longer term vision? If you will, tell us about the size, that kind of thing. So a few years ago, just because the market that we're in, we had a firm probably about 10 years ago when my career started. We had a firm that pretty much did everything. We didn't have any specialties. We were trying to put our hands in everything and, and grow aggressively. We had more than one office. 
And it didn't take us long to realize that when you're spread out in more than one office, you can't give all of your staff the attention they need. And we were kind of underdeveloping some of those staff. So a decision, I can't tell you how many years ago it was within, it was five to 10 years ago, a decision was made to close our second office and actually consolidate everything to one. And it wasn't a scaling down decision. It was to prepare ourselves to actually grow the way we needed to and make sure our staff were developing and, and getting the training and had the resources that they needed to. Around that time, we were doing audits of governmental agencies, nonprofits. We have a lot of yellow book that was undergone at the time. We had a pretty good audit practice. And of course, tax and consulting, I think, is part of any CPA firm. And we've also got a wealth management practice. It's been a very successful, very growing practice in that department. It's been a unique experience watching the wealth management practice grow and the clients who are coming to us and, and starting to shift from traditional financial advisor roles with whom they're with over to a CPA firm, a more holistic view on that aspect. We had one or two shareholders retire and the firm refocused. And when you look at our governmentals and and our nonprofits locally, all the additional CPE costs. And then the other thing on the nonprofits is we're not dealing with large nonprofits here. We're dealing with smaller nonprofits, the Salvation Army, the United Way, the Goodwill, the different arms of your churches and things like that. They have a very small budget. It actually got to the point where we were going out and proposing a fair fee on some of these audits and and wanting to do a quality audit. We had a very good reputation in the community, but you always have a sole proprietor out there who's just looking to fill time and may come out and just bill an extra extremely small feed just to pick up some work to fill some extra time. And it got to the point where we were struggling being able to realize any profit on our audits. So we've significantly scaled back our audit work and have kind of let it go. We don't we never did any specialized school district audits or bank audits, anything in that area. There are some opportunities here for that in this area, but but our firms never ventured into those waters. There are a couple of other local firms who do. But as far as specialties and focus, I would say we're tax and consulting. We do audits for for-profit entities. We do compilation and review work, bookkeeping, payroll services, and then, of course, the wealth management practice. The firm has a long history of being involved in the community. I would say all of our retired shareholders, very well decorated, very well known in the community. One currently serves on the BISD school board. We have former chairman of the Chamber of Commerce chairman of the Better Business Bureau. I mean, the list goes on. I couldn't even name all the organizations that the firm has been a part of. And that was probably one of the things that attracted me to the firm in the beginning was I grew up in a generation of kids who were taught about corporate fiscal responsibility in grade school and in junior high and what that looked like. And of course, I always wanted the opportunity to make money. Everybody goes into business wanting to make money, but you also want to have an impact on people and on your community. And it was important to me to find somebody who would appreciate that. And it was very obvious Edgar Kuyper Cross had that well in their culture at the firm. Really, I think Edgar Kuyper Cross is defined by its service and not service in the accounting profession, but service in the community. We've actually more recently formed a community service committee and our staff actually come together and choose a nonprofit organization to support for the year and they'll hold various fundraisers throughout the year. We'll do a gumbo fundraiser, a bake sale. We'll do the blood drive a few times a year. We'll do some Jeans Friday fundraisers. But it's been kind of neat getting the staff engaged and forming these committees where the staff can organize these activities and take ownership and really drive some things home. And we found great success in doing that. And it continues on the legacy of the firm, a commitment to service in the community. 
As long as we're on the topic of community, this is a good transition, actually. Let's talk about that a little bit and the hurricane, because I do want to be respectful of your time also, and I want to make sure we get to this part. So Hurricane Harvey came through in mid-late last year. How did that temporarily or maybe even more longer term change your life and the people in your area? Sure, sure. Well, this area, you know, Beaumont's located on the southeast Texas coast, so we're maybe about 30 miles from the Louisiana border on the Gulf Coast. We're kind of in the northernmost pocket of the Gulf of Mexico. We are no stranger to hurricanes. We have a laundry list of what has affected us over the years. Yeah, I can think as far back as 1985, some hurricanes had hit that year. But when my career started in 2008, it was right after Hurricane Ike had hit. And Hurricane Ike was an incredibly devastating storm and that it came with a 18-foot storm surge. And when you throw 30 feet waves on top of that, you're talking about 50 feet of water. And that's moving water with force. It completely wiped out the coastal communities. And I remember the only way you could describe it is that it looked like a nuclear bomb had gone off. When you drove through days later, cars were thrashed. There was no vegetation left. Homes just disappeared and missing. You'd just see slab. If the sand had not covered the slab, that would be all you would see. But I will say Harvey was very unique. We made it about 10 years after Hurricane Ike before Harvey arrived. And Harvey did not look like a very powerful storm. It started out in the southern Gulf. It was headed towards our brothers and sisters down in Corpus Christi. I have a few friends down there through the TSCPA, and and I remembered sending some emails and just checking in with some of those guys down there. And then it looked like, due to a high-pressure system that was going to be sitting over maybe the San Antonio to Dallas area, that the storm was going to kind of hang around, and it was going to be kind of stuck over the Texas coast, and it was going to shift north on the coast a little bit. So while Corpus Christi, and I think just north of Corpus Christi, the storm very quickly ramped up to a Category 4 or Category 5 storm. It looked like it was going to have a devastating impact at ground zero, but they were immediately talking about the rainfall totals from this thing just got stuck on the North Texas coast. What could possibly happen? They were predicting at the time, you know, 25 inches of rain. I remember seeing one forecast and I was actually due to be out of town. I was headed to Cabo. I had a trip to Cabo with some friends for a golf trip. We're going golfing and fishing for a long weekend. And I woke my wife up that maybe Tuesday or Wednesday before the storm hit and just told her, you know, hey, it looks like this storm could be a rainmaker and I'm not going to be here. So since you work remotely anyway, why don't you pack up and head to Dallas? That way, if anything becomes of this storm, maybe I can't get back to Houston, but I can certainly get back to Dallas if for some other reason flights have an issue. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, nothing to panic about. And, and I really didn't want my wife to panic, but they were talking about some serious rainfall totals. And, uh, It ended up playing out just to that. When we arrived in Cabo, we went to a restaurant and turned to look at the radar, and we could see the power of the storm had already started back home. There was a little bit of wind, but it wasn't really a windstorm. It was really more of a rainstorm. And when they forecasted 25 inches of rain, that was an understatement. I think here in Port Arthur, Beaumont, there was one location that it ended up receiving, I think, 63 or 64 inches of rain over four days. I think the National Weather Service has changed their rainfall gauges. They've added some colors now <laughs> to the scale. <laughs> to show forecast rainfall totals. And I will say that when you deal with a windstorm, you're dealing with structural issues to the home. Most of the time it's roof damage. You have a threat of trees falling, but you're talking about dry damage, things that are very easily or much easier to repair and manage. 
this being the first time to deal with the flood of this capacity, I mean, everybody saw a lot of coverage of Houston. Everybody saw a lot of coverage of the Beaumont, Port Arthur area on television. But to actually be here and see what was going on, you know, in the moment, after the storm had come in, we saw that Hobby Airport in Houston had gone underwater. And I parked my truck, I think, on the third floor of the garage just to be safe. I didn't think it was going to flood two stories, but I certainly thought there might have been water on the first floor and didn't want my truck to be near it. So I parked on the third floor, and sure enough, the airport ended up closing down. I caught a flight to Dallas, met up with my wife, and I was very stressed. I was worried about my staff. I was worried about clients and the firm and wanted to get back. And the firm had pretty well stayed in touch with each other, and it didn't seem like there was really anything I could do anyway, but you still want to be here with family and friends. My mom was still here. My younger brother was still here, and my wife actually had to slow me down. She said, you know, well, let's stop and think about this. You know, when we get there, what are we going to do? And I said, I need to get back and help people. And she'd tell you I just have this innate sense to jump without looking on some things. I do have a desire to help people, but probably the best advice she gave was we need to ride this thing out for another day or two and hang out and Dallas and make sure we can even get back to Beaumont. So we were able to locate some gas cans. We filled up, I think, five or six cans of gas, not knowing if we'd even have fuel to get back to town. We bought as much cleaning supplies and groceries for family and friends that we could think of. We gathered some extra ice chests, and when we located ice, we could help distribute that. And We drove her car down from Dallas to the airport in Houston. Water had already started to recede in Houston for the most part, but the Beaumont-Port Arthur area wasn't, I think, the, I don't even think the water had crested yet. We ended up leaving her car at the airport and picking up my truck, and it was about a 75 or 80-mile drive in from the airport, and we were able to find one area. The only way we could get in was to come in on Highway 90 through China and Nome, and we had to drive through about four feet of water. And it was the only way in. Everything else was trapped. And after the storm hit, it continued to move east a little bit into Louisiana. Interstate 10 had gone underwater at the state line from the Sabine River rising. So what ended up happening was I had to drive through four feet of water to get in from the west side. And all of the communities here ended up being up on islands. Lumberton was trapped by itself. Orange and Bridge City was trapped in an area by itself. And, you know, we have some rivers and some creeks and some bayous that run through this area. But I never realized that we don't have a contiguous piece of land in this area. It takes a flood to get you to realize that there's really about 10 different islands in this area, and, and I saw we were just one solid piece of land. So while I could get back into Beaumont, I live in downtown. My house was high and dry. I was able to check on my mom. She was high and dry. I really couldn't get over to other communities to where some of my coworkers and partners and staff were to assist them. So it was it was an effort to get out and see who we could help and where as fast as we could. I think the Democratic Party locally did a really good job of organizing a pickup location for clothes and food and ice and water. There were donations coming in from all over the country, much like Katrina in New Orleans. It's funny that in times of desperation, you see... All the other, the political landscape, the hardships, even in a time that this country seems to be a bit divided, all that disappears and all of that goes away. People unified and came together and, and you make new friends and you make new family in the process. You know, coming back to the firm, we didn't have potable water, so we had no toilets. And, and we decided for that reason it wasn't worth opening the office. I mean, no toilets, you can't have coffee and you can't work in an account <laughs> without coffee. So There you go. 
you know, that say, as the water started to recede, before the water receded, I think our water plant sits 20 or 30 feet above the river, and it had gone completely under the water, and all of the pumps had shut down, so there was no water for Beaumont. Beaumont's kind of the backup system, I think, for some of the other surrounding communities, so it was like camping for everybody, and everybody called it a staycation. Everybody was stuck on whatever island they were on, and just helping friends and family out in, in the area that they could access. Coming back to the firm, our phone was not ringing at all. We realized that all of our clients and everybody else, a lot of our construction companies are going to be very busy. And you talked about into September, we knew there were going to be extensions from the IRS before they were even offered. And we weren't stressing over October 15th deadlines at that time. Basically communicated to our staff, you know, we need to get out in the community and help. So if you know any friends, family, or anybody that we can, you know, let's go. And we had organized a couple of different groups headed two different directions. And we got out and, and started mucking houses and ripping apart wet sheetrock and everything else. I will say emotionally to see people go through what they were going through is an experience that I personally didn't have to deal with, and I don't know how I would have reacted. You know, I told my wife after the fact that we're out here helping these people do this in their houses. You know, what would we do if this was our situation? You know, emotionally, I think, to be honest, and this is kind of selfish, I think I might have had to have said, you know, I would walk away. I wouldn't want to touch that house. Too much work. It's too much stress. It's not like you just put a tarp over the roof to prevent water from coming in and you're still good to go. When you deal with a flood as opposed to a windstorm, it's something unlike you've never experienced before. And I will say that apartments and rent houses and hotels, everything around here right now is packed. RV parks are popping up all over the place, and they're a nice addition as we start staging for what is going to be our big economic boom. We're fixing to see a lot of things here that just explode in, in the economy here and really put this place on the map. But Harvey, devastating is probably an understatement to describe the effects of that storm. It's not something you can prepare for. I don't think anywhere in the country, if you get 64 inches of rain in three to four days, I don't think anybody's prepared for what that entails. Just curious, how long was it before the water supply issue got resolved? Hard to remember, Mark. It seemed like a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks. It seemed like by the time we got electricity back, it was probably another week after that before the water was restored. Wow. <laughs> it's just, yeah. The thing is, I've never went through something like that. It's just, it's amazing to think about all the basic stuff that we rely on that you all of a sudden don't have access to, you know? Things that we take for granted. And yes. we still have people who are dealing with it today. You know, I think they call this a 10-year storm. I think Ike was referred to as a two- or three-year storm. And, you know, sometimes sometimes hurricanes can be good for the economy. You have a lot of insurance money come in and a lot of people go back to work. There's a lot of jobs that pop up and a lot of work that needs to be done. But at the same time, while something like this could bring a lot of dollars back into the community, you just can't prepare yourself or anybody around you for the emotion that you're going to have to be going through dealing with everything. Hmm. Yeah, actually, we could have a whole other podcast or even a series on how a tragedy like this affects the construction industry. And particularly given that we're in a tight labor market right now, that's amazing that the far-reaching effects, definitely. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and I do end every podcast with the same three questions. So thank you very much for sharing that, because I definitely want to get an update, particularly for those listeners that aren't in this immediate area. You know, I, I think it's just something that's important to talk about. But let's go ahead and get to the final three questions. The first one I always ask people, and usually the easiest, is career-wise, what has been your proudest moment? Probably becoming a CPA was hands down my proudest moment in my career. 
I'm currently pursuing my CFP certification. It's not going to carry anywhere near the amount of emotion or excitement that being licensed as a CPA would. To have the weight off my shoulders and to think that, okay, now I can just come to work and go home and focus on my career and my life. I could form a life. That was absolutely my proudest moment. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, now I only have one job, my regular job, not studying for the exam anymore. (laughs) That's funny. Well, second question. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course, because that's very important. But frankly, the more colossal, the better. We like the big mistakes. (laughs) Sure. Well, I would say the mistakes I've made would probably be in dealing with people. My approach to dealing with certain people, you know, sometimes you always go back and look at some things you said or some things you have done and wish you had done some things differently. I'm not perfect by any means, but sometimes you react emotionally or out of exhaustion or out of fatigue and you can push loved ones away, and that can affect you in the office. I think I've pushed a couple of staff away previously that I look back now and, you know, wish both in my accounting career and in my management career at the restaurant that I could go back and have another conversation with some of those people and maybe apologize or inquire, you know, how did that come across to you? And it wasn't intended that way. It was never intended with ill will and, you know, probably just the stress of the situations. I would say my worst experiences have been from I let the stress of a certain lifetime event or scenario get to me, and then that spills over into people interaction. And that'd probably be the one thing I regret more than anything. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that and being open about it, because we are in a wonderful profession, but it is a profession that comes with some busy times, you know, some peak seasons, and it is easy sometimes to talk before you you think about how it sounds, particularly with coworkers. So that's important to share. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. Well, final question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Sure. I would say be someone who is going to do what they say they're going to do. When you make commitments, when you make promises to your clients or to others in the community and in the profession, follow through on that. Because there are others out there who make commitments and they don't follow through. And I know sometimes it can be difficult and you struggle working those extra few hours at night just to make a deadline by the next morning. But the one thing I've seen in the shareholders of my firm that have come before me is they've always done what they said they were going to do. And they've been honest and front. Don't let your clients' problems become your problems. Sometimes you need to sit down and be very honest with them and blunt with them. And if you're not comfortable with something, don't do it. But if you are comfortable with something and you commit to doing something, do what you say you're going to do. Beautiful. Well, that is great advice to end this on. Wonderful. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited that website, please do so. Once again, it's whereaccountantsgo.com. You can find the show notes for this episode as well as all the other episodes. We've got links to the review courses and certifications such as the CPA exam, of course, that Josh mentioned. Once again, that is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Josh, do you have any final thoughts or wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? Sure, Mark. I will say hard work really does pay off. I know that sounds cliche, but there's always somebody out there who notices. And accounting is an ever-changing landscape, and the possibilities are endless. It's a great profession to be in, and public accounting is a great aspect to be in the accounting profession in. Hmm, I like that. I like that. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us, and thank you, Josh. I appreciate your time as well. We will see everyone next week. There is more to come.